Al Capone's Life, Legacy, and Tax Evasion. Born in January of 1899 in Brooklyn, New York, Al Capone would come to be one of the most famous gangsters in the United States. His parents emigrated to the U.S. in 1893 from Naples. Capone had eight other siblings. Al Capone stayed in school until he had to repeat the sixth grade because he was playing hooky and missed too much time from school. Then he went on to quit school in his repeat year of the sixth grade after a teacher hit him and he hit the teacher back. Soon after dropping out of school, he was accepted as a member of two street gangs, the Bowery Boys and Junior 40 Thieves, while also working multiple jobs, such as a store clerk and a pen boy at a bowling alley. In New York during this time period, these kid gangs were pretty usual for crime and vandalism around the city. He then went on to later join the Brooklyn Ripers and the Five Points Gang. The Capones had moved to a neighborhood outside of Brooklyn. This is where Capone would meet Johnny Torrio. Torrio would become one of Capone's greatest mentors. Torrio was running a gambling operation and Capone started running small little errands for Torrio. Torrio then went on to leave Brooklyn and moved to Chicago in 1909. After he left, Capone continued his gang activities, but there was nothing crazy and he stuck to actual employment. Al Capone also played baseball with his brother, Ralph Capone, on a team called the Al Capone Stars, while also continuing his gang activities. His 1918 season would come to be his last because in 1917, Capone was introduced to Frankie Yale by Johnny Torrio. Yale would also become one of Capone's greatest mentors. He was employed by Yale to be a bouncer at the Harvard Inn. One incident in this bar gave him his nickname, Scarface. On December 8th, 1918, a man by the name of Frank Felicio cut Capone across his cheek with a razor after Capone made a remark to his sister. Capone also had his first child, Albert Francis, on December 4th, 1918, and got married to his girlfriend, Mae Coughlin, on December 30th, 1918. Now, a husband and father, Capone wanted to do right by his family. He moved to Baltimore, where he took an honest job as a bookkeeper for a construction company. But when Capone's father died of a heart attack in 1920, Capone's son's godfather, Torrio, invited him to come to Chicago. Capone jumped at the opportunity. In Chicago, Torrio owned a booming business in gambling and prostitution. In 1920, the 18th Amendment prohibited the sale and consumption of alcohol. Now, Torrio focused on a new, more lucrative field, bootlegging. Torrio recognized Capone's skills and quickly promoted him to partner. But unlike the low-profile Torrio, Capone began to develop a reputation as a drinker and instigator. After Capone hit a parked taxi while driving drunk, he was arrested for the first time. Torrio used his city government connections to get him free. Capone cleaned up his act when his family arrived from Brooklyn. His wife, son, along with his mother and younger siblings all moved to Chicago. Capone bought a house in the middle-class South Side. In 1923, when Chicago elected a mayor who announced that he planned to rid the city of corruption, Torrio and Capone moved their base beyond the city limits to suburban Cicero. A 1924 election in Cicero threatened their operations. To ensure they could continue doing business, Torrio and Capone initiated an intimidation effort on the day of the election to guarantee their candidate would get elected. Some voters were shot and killed. Chicago sent police to respond. Police brutally gunned down Capone's brother, Frank, in the street. In 1925, rival mobsters almost killed Torrio. In fear, he decided to leave the business and return to Italy, turning over the entire operation to Capone. 
Papone again ignored advice to maintain a low profile and instead he moved his headquarters to the Metropole Hotel in downtown Chicago. From there, he began, began living a luxurious and public lifestyle, spending money, money lavishly, although always in cash to avoid a trail. Newspapers of the time estimated Capone's operations generated $100 million in revenue annually. The press followed Capone's every move avidly. He was able to gain public sympathy with his personality. Some even considered him a kind of Robin Hood figure as the anti-probation opinion grew. However, in later years, Capone's name increasingly became connected with brutal violence and his popularity decreased. In 1926, when two of Capone's sworn enemies were spotted in Cicero, Capone ordered his men to gun them down. William Swiggin, known as a hanging prosecutor who had tried to prosecute Capone for a previous murder, was with the two marked men. All three of the men were killed. Fed up with Chicago's gang-dominated lawlessness, the public called for justice. The police had no evidence for the murders, so instead they raided Capone's businesses. They found documentation that would later be used to press charges against him of income tax evasion. In response, Capone called for a peace conference among the city's criminals. The agreement was reached to stop the violence, but it only lasted two months. Al Capone reportedly made up to $100 million a year in illegal profits during the 1920s. This is equal to around $1.3 billion in today's dollar. On May 16, 1927, the Supreme Court ruled in the case U.S. versus Sullivan that gains from illicit traffic and liquor are subject to income tax and would be taxable. This was the ruling that the government needed in order to catch Al Capone. After this, the government began, began looking for things to catch Al Capone on. The St. Valentine's Day massacre occurred in Miami in 1929. Although there was no evidence that Al Capone and his accomplices committed this crime, the feds named Al Capone as public enemy number one in order to try and catch him. Capone was subpoenaed before the federal grand jury to be investigated for the St. Valentine's Day massacre, but failed to appear in court due to a sickness and was sentenced to bed rest from his doctor. He was later arrested on contempt charges after prosecutors produced evidence that he was in the Bahamas and gambling during this time that he was supposed to be in bed rest. He was released on bond, but then rearrested very quickly for concealed weapons charges. He was then sentenced to the Philadelphia Eastern State Penitentiary while he was waiting for his trials. While in the Philadelphia Eastern State Penitentiary, it is reported that he lived in luxury amid French furniture, plush rugs, and a Vitrola radio in his prison cell. While in prison, the feds proved that Capone had millions of dollars in unreported income. Al Capone was busted for tax evasion on October 17, 1932, and he was indicted on 22 counts of federal tax evasion. When he was caught, it was reported that he said, they can't collect legal taxes from illegal money. He was fined $50,000, which is $798,055 in today's money, and he was ordered to pay back his unpaid taxes of $215,000, which is 
$3,430,064 in today's dollars. So obviously he was sentenced to 11 years in uh, prison for tax evasion. And he's, what a lot of people don't know is that he spent the first four years of his sentence in a federal penitentiary in Atlanta. And he started bribing guards uh, in this penitentiary so that he could have a cell with a lot of amenities like that other prisons prisoners didn't get like furniture and books and even paintings uh so that since he was such a high value criminal they transferred him to alcatraz on august 22nd 1934 and uh this was just 11 days after uh alcatraz opened uh, a little background about alcatraz is it was originally built in 1847 to be a uh, military prison, and it wasn't officially turned into Alcatraz until obviously when it opened in 34. And uh, Al Capone, his time there, he was inmate number 85, and he had a really lenient warden. Uh, the warden's name was James Johnston, and he believed that prisoners shouldn't rot in prison. And so he uh, believed in giving them, he gave them three meals a day and he believed in giving them good food. And you could even go back and get a second plate after you finish your first one. Uh, he kept one inmate in each cell to uh, because he thought that was safer. Uh, they, show, they had monthly movie showings for uh, inmates that exhibited good behavior and they also had access to a 15,000 book library. So during his time in Alcatraz, Al Capone played the banjo and he played the banjo for a inmate band called the Rock Islanders. And, but his time in Alcatraz didn't last long. He only spent four and a half years there before he began to suffer from uh, long-term exposure to syphilis, which began to affect his brain. So he was eventually transferred to the Terminal Island Prison in Southern California for the remainder of his sentence. But he officially left Alcatraz on January 6, 1939. Immediately on release, he entered a Baltimore hospital for brain treatment. Then he went on to his Florida home. Capone never publicly returned to Chicago. He had become mentally incapable of returning to mobster politics. In 1946, his physician concluded that Capone had the mentality of a 12-year-old. Capone died on January 25, 1947, due to a stroke and pneumonia. His legacy lives on. This has been Al Capone's Life, Legacy, and Tax Evasion.